Welcome back to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. And we are both in Lincoln, Nebraska. How about that? How this is our first that? recording of our podcast in person. Yep, the first time we've done an episode together live and not the Zoom route. Yeah. So uh, we are at the IFCA International Convention. You have to see IFCA International. Yep. You can't just say IFCA anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a different conversation. But uh, here we are having this conversation today. You heard yesterday our interview with Richard Vargas, the executive director for IFCA. And, uh, oh, no, here comes a fan. Oh, yeah. Here comes a fan. Here comes a fan. Hello. There he is. How are you? One of your faithful listeners. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have anything to say to the faithful crowd out there? (laughs) Uh, Keep watching. It's great stuff. Okay. Very good. You heard it here. That's right. Endorsement from Ken Olson. Appreciate that. So, uh, we want to discuss a couple of the resolutions that have been passed here as a way of maybe introducing some people to IFCA International. Yeah. Um, I think these would probably be very... That's, yeah. If you, if you know these two resolutions about the IFCA, you're going to know quite a bit about where they are and several things. It'll fill in a lot of the details, get filled in yes. just by, just naturally. And I wasn't so, there. This Was this Monday night? Or this was Tuesday. Tuesday. I, yeah. came, I started Wednesday morning. So, uh, Ken, just walk us through what we're, what these resolutions are. We got them in front of us if you're just yes. listening. We got our good old... We have our resolutions now. These these are these are quite lengthy resolutions. Yeah, we're not going to read them. Resolutions are not always this long, but these ones are particularly long, but with good reason. Yeah, because our resolutions are dealing with some some significant things right now. So, the first is our resolution on social justice. The IFCA has taken a stand on issues of social justice, uh, a commitment to approaching things biblically and according to the Word of God and not allowing secular ideologies that are godless ideologies to influence how we approach these issues. So it, it, it condemns CRT and it, um, it promotes just a biblical anthropology, a biblical uh, I guess I could use all the ology words. It promotes all of the all of the good things, but it seeks to address, like recognizing, okay, when there are problems in society, the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not found up in these these secular ideologies that are trying to promote things that are contrary to God's word. That's not actually going to solve anything in the end. Our hope is in the gospel of Christ. Yeah, and maybe it'd be helpful to read the last paragraph here where it says, Be it finally resolved that the members of IFCA International believe the church's mission and focus is given to us by our Lord to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe the Lord's commandments. Therefore, we believe the church must call people to salvation, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and rightly divide the word of truth all to the glory of God. Yeah. And that's obviously, the f- that should be the focus of the church. Yes. And um, as we consider social justice, the social justice movement, critical race theory, and the like, it clouds the the mission of the church. Yes, and we'll, we'll make these resolutions available for people that want to read them. We can, we'll figure out how to do that. I'm sure they're going to be posted on the IFCA website at some point. I don't know how quickly, uh, but they will be posted there. And uh, so we'll either get a link there or maybe if, if we need to, we'll even just put it in a Word doc and link it in the, or not a Word doc, but a Google doc and, peop- and link it in the episode description. So if you want to read it and you want to know what it has to say, you can do that. 
and this is this is actually pretty remarkable how how this was passed. You know, we're obviously living in a day and age right now when these things are really uh, prevalent in our culture, and the church is trying to wrestle through how we deal with these issues, and we see this going on in in various denominations. Obviously, the SBC has gotten a lot of press last few years over how it has chosen to handle these things and the controversies surrounding that. Um, the same time that this convention is going on, we have the PCA. They're having their general assembly, and they're dealing with some of these issues. And the IFCA has decided to take a, a pretty strong stand on it, but I believe it's a good, a good yeah. stand, a very biblical and balanced approach to where it's not, it's not brushing over where there are real problems in society. It's not ignoring those, but it's seeking to direct the solution back to the gospel of Christ and handle things biblically. Yeah, I mean, basically... I mean, just to be straightforward, for those who are in the Southern Baptist Convention who are not happy with the way the convention's going, mm-hmm. who are frustrated with the amount of people who are standing in the way of passing a resolution on social justice like this, right? the IFCA is doing what the Southern Baptist Convention can't do right? in passing a resolution like this. Unanimously. That is, th- yeah. That is just, this was a unanimous passing. That just straightforward says what's going on and calling it out and saying that it's wrong. Um, you know, I'm looking over this uh, document here, and I admit I haven't uh, read this word for word because I, you know, like I said, I wasn't here when got this in was late. brought up and passed. Yep, got in late. I'm a new member of the IFCA, so yeah. rookie mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the second paragraph here, the second whereas, says, Whereas there is an imminent danger of the theologically conservative church losing its message and mission due to debates over issues such as critical race theory, intersectionality, wokeness, and secular philosophies, we affirm that the means by which the church is called to engage with and transform the culture is solely as a byproduct of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Southern Baptists can't get that passed. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm not saying that to diss Southern Baptists. I'm sure a lot of people who listen are Southern Baptists, and that's great, but they can't get it passed. Yeah. I mean, I, the, that's just a fact. And so to have a an association of independent churches that hold to the fundamentals of the faith, men who come together, pastors who come together who can say, look— yeah, this this is bogus, and we can unanimously pass this resolution, I think speaks volumes of the benefits that you can find in the IFCA. Yes. Amen. Now, like you mentioned, you know, you got SBC, PCA, GARB is GARB, also yeah. meeting. Well, what is GARB for people who don't know what GARB uh, is? General Association of Regular Baptists. They're like the IFCA, except they don't practice biblical eldership. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Shots fired. <laughs> so we would have a lot in common with the, con- a, with the yeah. conservative branches of each of those denominations slash associations, mm-hmm. um, recognizing especially the PCA right now has a significant number of non-conservatives. Correct. Whatever you want to call them. Progressives. But they, they still yeah. have a number of conservatives. And, Absolutely. And we have a lot in common there. But now when it comes to this other resolution that's before us, the IFCA really starts to stand on its own a little bit. Maybe there's a lot more overlap than what I'm giving credit for with, I mean, definitely not with the PCA. Maybe, I mean, there's going to be some with the SBC, quite a bit with GARB. Yeah, the GARB, I think, could could sign on to this. But this is the resolution on dispensational pre-tribulationalism. Yeah. Now, that's a mouthful. Dispensational pre-tribulationalism. Just tell us what's going on here, Ken. Okay, so... First, historically, IFCA International has always been uh, an association of individuals and churches and mission organizations, uh, etc., 
who affirm a dispensational framework and understanding of Scripture. Because of the hermeneutic. I was about to say that. Because of the hermeneutic is driven by a commitment to a consistent application of the grammatical, historical, contextual hermeneutic throughout all passages of Scripture, including prophecy. That is the distinctive of IFC International and always has been. God God willing, always will be. I think the IFCA will probably cease to be before that becomes uh, stops being a distinctive of IFCA International. And right now we're in we're in a uh, in a place in in church history in America where we're seeing a, you know a rise and a resurgence of amillennial and postmillennial approaches to eschatology. And so here at the convention this year, IFCA International has decided to once again plant our flag and say this is where we stand on these things. They didn't really need to, though, right? I mean, within the IFCA, there's not been a rise in amillennialism or no, because you can't be in the IFCA, and not, <laughs> this is a distinctive of the IFCA. It's a part of our doctrinal statement that we hold to a consistent yeah. application of the grammatical, historical, contextual hermeneutic that leads towards a dis- dispensational framework. Now, there's different varieties of dispensationalists within IFCA, but it is still dispensational. And if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, these dispensationalists, well, you need to think about this a little bit more. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and, I mean, so if you're thinking that way or if you're thinking, what it, I, I'm not, I'm yeah, getting kind of lost. I'm, sure. I can't remember what pre-tribulationalism is or whatever. We actually are going to have a series coming up in the relatively near future about hermeneutics and defining and defending our hermeneutics. So just hang in there for that and hear us out all the way through, and then you can decide what you want to do with it. But when it comes to this particular resolution... And, of course, the theme this year of the convention is biblical eschatology. Yes. I'm assuming this resolution and the theme are related. Yeah, Dr. Vargas talked about it in our interview yesterday, and he talked about his message a little bit, and he gave us seven reasons why it's it's critical to be studying biblical and teaching biblical eschatology. Yeah, they, so they're just going through again and proclaiming, yet again, with another resolution on this, I'm sure it's not the first, <laughs> <laughs> that um, they are dispensational pre-tribulationists. Um, yeah. Just, I'll read a couple of lines from this resolution. Uh, whereas the premillennial pre-tribulational eschatology emerges from a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic applied consistently to all texts of Scripture, and whereas the use of, inconsist- of an inconsistent dual hermeneutic results in a variety of eschatological positions, <laughs> and whereas mm-hmm. many conservative churches, seminaries, Bible colleges, and parachurch organizations no longer hold to an eschatological position, implying that eschatology is a secondary, non-essential theological concern. Ooh, they didn't get our chart in time for that one, because it is secondary. Yeah. We might want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> be it therefore resolved, and then it goes on and gives some uh, resolutions, of course, uh, defending the or just proclaiming the truth of the pre-tribulational view, yeah. um, which is, of course, the view that there will be a rapture before a literal seven-year tribulation period on the face of the earth, um, which will then be followed by the second coming of Christ when his feet actually come to the earth, particularly on the Mount of Olives, and mm-hmm. it is split. Um, that's the view that this organization holds to, that all of its members hold to, and it's one of the ways that the IFCA is set apart from other associations is that they see this as a distinctive that they won't budge on. Yes. And, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, 
a lot of press about some of these issues. Like, you know, John MacArthur famously made that comment a few weeks back about how you know, we don't win down here and kind of made some remarks about post, uh, post-millennialism that uh, a lot of post-millennials didn't feel like he accurately represented them. And so that caused quite a bit of stir in theological communities as they're just discussing those things. And it's just kind of an interesting moment right now where we're at where there are there's, there's kind of a renewed interest and debate over these issues people are kind of some people are are changing their position uh, we we know some individuals that have recently changed their position on eschatology and one of the things that we think is really really important the trend is almost always going from some sort of a premillennial view to amillennial or postmill usually yeah. amill is just a pit stop on the way to well well i shouldn't say it seems like these days, these amillennialism days, yeah. is a pit stop on the way to postmillennialism. Right, that's postmillennialism seems to be experiencing quite the resurgence. I, I wrote an so, article on my website, postmillennialism in vogue, because yeah. it is like the eschatology of the day. Yeah, and so and and it's common, I think, when discussing these things. You know, I, I know I've experienced this just in in uh, you know just online conversations where our position is ridiculed. It's mocked, and you know yeah, that's fine. Kirk Cameron, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, the whole left behind thing, and, and then Nicholas Cage. And Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Why did that uh, happen? Who let that happen? Who let that happen? Who let the dogs out? Oh, uh, anyway. So all that to say, you know, <laughs> there are some things that certainly have deserved the ridicule that we have received. Yeah. Right. No oh, doubt absolutely. about it. There's there has been in some places kind of that escapist mindset that is often den- is is often kind of associated with a dispensational framework. And you um, get into the Hal Lindsey stuff too. Yeah. Of like really trying to make specific date settings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Newspaper exegesis of just like you're discerning the times and all that stuff and and all that stuff certainly is. It's not good, right? Yeah, it's worthy we, we, of condemnation. Yeah, it, amen. It is worthy of condemnation. But does that mean we throw out the eschatological baby with the poor application bathwater? <laughs> no. Yeah. Right. I mean, just because we could say broadly speaking of Christianity, there are a lot of take Westboro Baptists. Yeah. A lot of people look at Christianity and say, well, you get the West. You're like the Westboro Baptists. You hate gay people. You put you 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 know are just radical militant Mm -hmm. type people um, who are illogical and you don't you just want to scream at people okay well we look at that and say well that's just a a part of christianity that those people do exist and we are stand with you actually in saying that's wrong for them to behave the way that they behave and to go about things the way they do Um, so when people i'm not even sure if we we call that real christianity depending I, i would put it under the umbrella of Christendom, which would yeah. include anything from Roman Catholicism all the way okay. to... Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. But anything it, that just claims the name of Christianity. Yeah. There are, but we would probably say that there's things that would violate the primary well, column yeah. within just, that. This is from so. the world's perspective. Gotcha. Right. From the world's tracking. perspective. We're tracking. So, so, yeah, I mean, we would say to those people, well, don't condemn all of Christianity because of those people. And so we're just saying the same thing to people yeah. with other views of the end times. Well, don't... I mean, I we could pick crazy people. Certainly, in the post millennial camp, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that hard. Right, we could, we could pick some crazy people and say, "See, all post millennials are just like this person." Yeah, um, but that's not a fair way of arguing. It's not a fair way of characterizing an actual well studied, uh, plenty of scholarly works out there on the subject. 
don't do that. Yeah. Ad hominem attacks does not make for good theology yeah. discussion. Right. So if, if you want to have a conversation about it, we can do that, and we would like to demonstrate the case exegetically, not based off of pejoratives and misapplications that have happened. Like, we're not denying those things have happened. They have. But we don't, we don't again, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on right. these things. So. Yeah, so that was the other resolution well, that was passed. You want to read more about it? Well, let's talk. Let's just hover for a minute because this is the theme of our podcast. Sure. This aspect of the resolution where it says, well, it calls out um, there are many churches, seminaries, Bible colleges, and parachurch organizations that have given up a position on the end times, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. implying that eschatology is a secondary, non-essential theological concern. It's how it's phrased in there, and obviously by them wording it that way, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, it isn't. It is a primary, essential concern. Right. Now, we're, we are the authors of a chart that put eschatology in the secondary column. Dotheology.com slash chart. That's right. So now, how can we reconcile these things, Ken? If we're part of an organization that's basically saying this is primary, yet we have a chart that's saying it's secondary, what, what's happening here? Let's talk through this. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> so, on, on one aspect, we would actually we would agree with this non-essential thing, right? We would agree yeah. with saying that it's not non-essential. Yeah. If you, we don't think any doctrine is non-essential. Right. We think it's all essential. Yes. That's it's right. It's just the varying levels of importance. Yes. And with, scripture yeah. places a different weight on it. Now, we would say that eschatology is primary when referencing. The return, the second coming of Christ. Yeah, the return I, of Christ. And I'm sure that these churches, seminaries, Bible colleges, and parachurch organizations that are being called out here would agree. Yes, because it, it says these even conservative yeah. organizations mm-hmm. have have punted on a position on eschatology, and I see that all the time. Like, yeah. you know, when we when I want to check out a church. One of the first things I do on their website is I actually go to their staff page. I want to see where the guy went to school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my first thing. And then the second thing is the statement of faith because yeah. sometimes it's like, okay, you might have a good statement of faith, but if your guy went to a liberal college, he's redefining all these good terms, you know? Right. And so um, anyway, when I go to their statement of faith, I'm seeing more and more churches that just have, we just believe that Jesus is, there will be an imminent return, yeah. second coming, kind of like just falling back on the bare minimum mm-hmm. of what is required for to for you to call yourself a biblical Christian. Right. Um, just punting on a lot of the other particulars. And I think that's what this resolution is actually seeking to condemn yes. is just that general vague pan-millennialism. Yeah, pan, yeah. Well, Jesus is coming back and everything else will work out. So It'll all pan out in the end. Now, yeah. I, I think it, it would be fair for us to say that the hermeneutic, which is talked about a lot in here, mm-hmm. the the hermeneutic is very important. Yes. And critical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- without the hermeneutic, you don't have different eschatology views. Without different hermeneutics, you don't end up with different eschatological views. And that's what we say on our chart. What's the difference between something that's primary and something that's secondary? Well, secondary doctrines are a result of your hermeneutic. Right. Primary doctrines transcend hermeneutics. They are so clear that no matter what interpretive grid you're bringing to the scriptures, as long as it's a legitimate interpretive grid, you're going to walk away with these doctrines because God has made them absolutely clear. They define Christianity. Right. So, um, so knowing that that's our framework, what do we do with a statement such as this? 
Maybe you could give a little bit of history, IFCA history. IFCA history. Because I'm sure that plays into it a little bit. The culture of the IFCA, the types of people, the types of schools that have been involved, and the types of battles that have been fought <laughs> leading up to today. A little bit of an overview for people who just have no idea what the IFCA is. Sure. So the IFCA was birthed out of the, the liberalizing movement that occurred back in the early 1900s when there were many historically conservative institutions that were beginning to embrace uh, theologically liberal positions, denying aspects of the faith such as miracles, denying the resurrection of Christ, saying that it was it's just a figurative resurrection, uh, denying inerrancy, a whole bunch of uh, theological th- issues that were problematic and calling into question really the legitimacy of, of Scripture itself, the, the virgin birth of Christ, and calling into question these things. And as a reaction against that liberalizing trend in our historical institutions, places like Princeton Theological Seminary, that was a you know, one of the most influential seminaries in the world for over a hundred years. And then when that shift began to go, the liberalizing shift happened, it was occurring everywhere in the United States, right? Like this was, this was just happening everywhere. Many churches were reacting against this, and they were leaving their denominations that were going this theological liberal direction, and many of them are who ended up forming what is now the IFCA International. It had a different name at the beginning. I don't recall exactly yeah, what it, it was. was but um, it was something really funny. It was like the National Coalition of Undenominational Churches. Undenominational? Yes, unden- <laughs> and it was so funny because it's a coalition of undenominational churches. Yeah. We should revive that terminology. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so it's interesting that there's actually uh, some of those churches were Presbyterian. Some of the earliest IFCA churches were Presbyterian. Yeah, some I of their early battles were about baptism, mode of baptism. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and they uh, ended up affirming what is essentially a Baptistic uh, position on baptism. Yes, um, no one is allowed to sprinkle babies in the IFCA. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's not it's not a legitimate baptism. Um, and just over the years, uh, it's just been a continual fight to hold on to the fundamentals of the faith. But right alongside that has been an, an adherence to dispensationalism. Yes. It mm-hmm. has been there from the beginning. From the beginning. You think of uh, Lewis Berry Chafer, who founded Dallas Theological Seminary. Yep. And... Uh, the Schofield Reference Bible Schofield, and, yeah. and all those things. And then as things developed over the years, you, that's more classic dispensationalism. And then you had Ryrie and Walvert, a lot of those Dallas guys from the 60s, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's revised dispensationalism. And then, of course, in more recently, you got progressive, progressive. dispensationalism. But, but throughout the whole thing, the IFCA has been directly linked to dispensationalism. It has. And that's because of the commitment to the hermeneutic. Yes. It's that consistent application of the grammatical, historical, contextual hermeneutic. Yeah. Sometimes it's called the literal hermeneutic by people. I don't like the word literal because that's misunderstood. That's yeah. I, So I'm stressing the consistent application of the grammatical, historical, contextual hermeneutic because we believe that that leads to that dispensational framework. When we take the text and we look at it and see, okay, what does it say in its context? This is the conclusion that we're going to draw from that because it's really a commitment to sola scriptura in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, and and I would say a consistent, <laughs> consistent commitment to that that leads to uh, that leads to this eschatological framework. Yeah, I mean, inductive Bible study. Yeah, is 
how you hold to scripture alone being the authority because of course deductive reasoning says okay here's my thesis now let me find evidence for it right and so people can approach scripture here's my theological framework now let me find verses to back that up and we know all kinds of people who do that but we and so many others not just dispensationalists i mean it's understood that inductive bible study is the appropriate way to approach the scriptures meaning you want to know what the text says what the original author intended how his original audience understood it and what teachings emerge from that are the teachings you're going to have right you're going to let the chips fall where they may so to speak from your perspective as god is teaching you directly through scripture and we're going to get into that more in our hermeneutic series but this resolution says, look, if, if you're going to be consistent, <laughs> that guy's kind of loud. If you're going to be consistent with this hermeneutic, a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic, you're going to come away with a pre-tribulational view of the end times, yeah. which leads into them saying in this resolution, okay, let's not imply that eschatology then is a secondary, non-essential theological concern. Right. And I think a lot of people mean a lot of different things when they say secondary. Yes. We have a chart. We have a paradigm by We're, which, we, how we strictly define primary That's what I was about to say, a carefully, intentionally defined chart that explains yes. those things. And I think essentially what this resolution is saying is, look, eschatology isn't something we should approach flippantly and just push it off and say, it's not as important as soteriology, right. it's not as important as ecclesiology. And and that is always a temptation. Because the implication to something being secondary is, well, it doesn't really matter. Yes. And that's, we would affirm, it does, we, we, we would call it secondary, but we would say it absolutely matters. Yes. In fact, in, the, in our chart, we have it under a head, heading that says, worldview shaping. Yes. Like, right. it, it matters. <laughs> and with, with all... Of the categories of biblical theology, soteriology, ecclesiology, angelology, eschatology, mm-hmm. like all these ones, they all have one foot in primary, one foot in secondary. It just depends on what you're talking about. Yeah. If we're talking about the gospel, which is under soteriology, that is obviously primary. Now, when you get into atonement issues, was it limited or unlimited? The atonement. That's a secondary conversation. Yeah. Um, when you get into some of the lordship and free grace stuff, now there are extremes on both ends that get into primary, but... There's extremes of all these things yes. that get into primary. Right. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's a secondary conversation. Right. And so with eschatology, it does have its f- feet in both camps. Yeah. And so we can say, yes, eschatology is of primary importance in some things. And in other things, it's more of a secondary conversation. Not that it doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't shape your worldview. Not that it doesn't give you a paradigm. It does all those things. Yes. But <clears throat> we recognize that saying, okay... Here's, here are the events that are leading up to the second coming. That is not as important as the fact that there is a second coming. Right. Scripture is clear that Jesus will return. Mm-hmm. However, it's not as clear about all the details leading up to that return, which is why we have just legitimate disagreements with mm-hmm. our brothers in the faith on this issue, and that is okay. Yeah. It is okay. Mm-hmm. Um because nobody, nobody is saying with this statement, this, this resolution, nobody is saying that it, all those other eschatological positions, right. they're not really Christians, and right. they're actually on their way to hell. They're, yeah, that's a great nobody point. Nobody is saying that. And that was clarified even, I think, uh, on the stage when they were discussing this resolution. Yeah. And they didn't adjust any wording, but that was made clear through yes. that. We're not saying that we're the only Christians. Yes. Right? That's, that's not what That would point. make this a cult. That would make this a cult. <laughs> 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 so that is, but that's not the point. Yeah. But the point is it is, it yeah. is important, and it is an important enough distinctive that 
it's one of the yeah. points of distinctives of IFCA International. And we talked about this in our six mistakes people make in theological triage episode. Yeah. Our mm-hmm. sixth point was reducing eschatology to the lowest possible uh, Man, you even remembered which point it was. That's impressive. Yeah, well, it was the last one, eschatology. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. It was the <laughs> last things. Um, because it is future and because it is uncertain yeah. in the sense, like, the gospel is certain, the exact details of the end are uncertain from our perspective. Not Un- from God's yeah. perspective, but from our perspective. Uncertain uh, in terms of we can get to different conclusions based on our hermeneutic. It just hasn't yeah. happened yet. Yeah. From a human perspective, it just is... It, yeah. it, there's a, a, certain, a sense in which it's uncertain all the de- all the details now there are certain things that are certain like Jesus is going to return and so um, understanding all of that we still say eschatology is extremely important mm-hmm. and it is a mistake to reduce it to just something that's just yeah whatever doesn't really matter yeah you know mm-hmm. and that's essentially what this resolution's saying yes so yep that's kind of been the big happenings here we've uh, we've had a really great convention. So mm-hmm. far this week, we, in fact, this is the last night where we're, we're recording this on the last night. You're going to have more interviews that are going to be releasing this week with uh, some of the some of the big, bigger names, I suppose, within yeah. the IFCA. That we're excited to to get that content out for you. We just you. ate a bunch of tacos. We did. Mm-hmm. They were delicious, and they accidentally gave us too much food. They gave me two of my meals. I don't know. Yeah, they how made that it twice. Happened. Yeah, the, but anyway. <laughs> so I ate a lot of food. And I feel terrible. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope I can stay awake tonight. Uh, they t- yeah. they've taken away the coffee, um, and I have a full belly full of tacos. So we'll uh, be praying for you, Dr. Larry Pettigrew yep. from Shepherd's Theological Seminary is going to be speaking on. Do you know the topic? Uh, something about the kingdom, perhaps. I'm not sure. I'm okay. not sure. Last night Probably was the millennial kingdom. Dr. Michael Vlock, who just left Master Seminary on his way to Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Yep. And he spoke about how Jesus is the ultimate uh, fulfillment of man in his uh, man's commission to rule and reign on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also heard Dr. Vlock talk about how Jesus is the ultimate Israelite. Have you heard his stuff on that? I have not. It's really good. Hmm. Um, it, it's actually a really good, again, we'll get into this in our hermeneutic series, but yeah. for people who say, oh, we don't have a Christocentric hermeneutic, and so here we are just dicing up the Bible, you know, according to whatever Kirk Cameron says. Um, <laughs> the stuff that Dr. Vlock does is really good in showing that, look, just because we don't have a historical redemptive view of scripture like the reformed theology camp does and because we don't have a christocentric hermeneutic like they do that doesn't mean that we minimize jesus in any way he is the ultimate fulfillment of man he's the ultimate fulfillment of uh what a true israelite was to be and he is the the ultimate fulfillment of all things we could argue that the grammatical, historical, contextual hermeneutic, that's the real Christocentric it's, hermeneutic. It's more Christ-centered than a Christocentric <laughs> yeah. hermeneutic. And we will be interviewing Dr. Vlock in that Shots series. So yes, we Dr. Vlock is... Yeah, yeah we're we excited that about that. Mm-hmm. And we will be interviewing Daryl Bach also, a little teaser. Because here's the thing, when it comes to... Uh, you know, for, the, for those of you that, that aren't where we are theologically, we don't have any problems with them not being where we are as long as it's not a primary violation exactly right that's that's what i'm referring to them these uh, secondary things that's but when it comes to considering other systems and other positions you really want to be exposed to the best that that camp has to offer 
academically, scholastically, uh, just the, exegetically, those who have thought through these these issues very particularly, you want to hear the best of that, that what that camp has to offer. And Dr. Michael Vlock is, the, I think, right now, the best contemporary voice on these issues. I would put Daryl Bach up there, too. I, I would, mean, yeah. I mean, between the two of them and having them both on our series on hermeneutics, and we haven't done these interviews yet, so we're really hoping these work yeah. out since we're <laughs> making promises. If that falls through, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. whoops, I'm sorry, guys. We're over here writing checks that we, <laughs> yeah, we, we may not catch. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it will be, yeah, that, that will be a series that you'll be able to refer to knowing that that's a rep, an accurate representation of mm. dispensational hermeneutics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, that'll be great. Yep. Anything else as we wrap up here on our last night at the convention? I don't think so. I think that's it, yeah. Okay. We're excited to, to get the rest of these interviews out to you and excited for what the future holds. We're going to do some theology. Until next time, do... Theology. That was a short. That was a short, short do. do. Yeah, come on, man. And no. we're around you're, people. You're, you're too scared. You're too I timid. Am. Yeah. Sorry. See ya. <laughs>